Hey everybody, welcome to the fifth episode of Digging Deeper. Let's go. Hey everyone, I'm very happy to have a friend of mine, Lawrence Yang here. Hey, hey. What's going on, Lawrence? Uh, Lawrence is a friend back in the UBC days. Uh, we actually played on the same uh, UBC intramural basketball team. Go Phagocytes! Yeah, Phagocytes, a really, really cool name. Um, but uh, what we wanted to talk about today, uh, Lawrence has uh, knowledge of many, many different things, but he is particularly passionate about... Love making. The way you love... <laughs> we'll keep that for another podcast, right? Oh, that's nice after, after Dark. Okay, sorry. Um, but we're going to talk about one of his passions, which is uh, mixed martial arts, MMA. Yes. If you follow Lawrence on social media, Instagram, Facebook, he, you will notice that he is very passionate about the world of MMA. And um, so, you know what? We're going to jump right into it, Lawrence. And uh, when did your interest with MMA begin? And how did it begin? You know, as a... Are we allowed to swear on this thing? I forgot that. Yeah, of course. Of yeah. Course. So, so as, as a kid, I, I was the biggest pussy, right? So I was... <laughs> I was I was known... My, my older sister, she would always say... You cry about everything, Lawrence. You, you, uh, no matter what happens, you, you're always crying. Even if even if you're the one who did things wrong, and then I, I'd be the one end up end up crying. So, knowing that about myself, I thought it was really important that I tried to 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 be what I thought a man should be. Right. So there's like this kind of like developing my own identity through through following what what I thought was manly. Right. So like. When you're a kid, who are some of the heroes that you look up to who might be manly? Oh, probably, you know, back in the day, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Lee, yeah. uh, Bruce Willis. So I was like the biggest said. I used to draw um, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger's torso on my binders when I was at Vancouver College. And yeah. my friend Michael Lee used to make fun of me. He's like, why do you keep drawing naked men? <laughs> and like I get teased about being gay but uh, but I, I was yeah and I find that hard to believe because you're probably one of the larger Asian men yeah. that I know so, um, so you know so were you really fascinated with martial arts even at a young age then yeah um, I mean my my parents they, they loved Chinese uh, cinema though all the old um, uh, I can't remember what it's called like Golden Lion Productions or whatever which was a lot of that old style martial arts fancy stuff that uh, they would put Crouching Tiger to shame. All the oh yeah, crazy f- flying, uh, wavy, wavy clothes. Things that flap when you move your arms. There's like <laughs> noises all around. Right. <laughs> Those types of martial arts movies. So that really influenced me growing up. And were you in martial arts as a kid? Like, did you do taekwondo or karate or kung fu? So that's where our friend Brian Yang comes in. So Brian Yang's dad. He he's a very macho dude. Like talks about. Uh, army stuff all the time you know, having served a little bit in, in Taiwan and he put Brian in there and Brian and I growing up together we were shoved together as kids to go through kind of like the same programming you're going to go to you're going to be strong you're going to be smart you're going to go to church and then you're going to become doctors and then you're going to rule the world right right so there was a programming in there and part of that was that Brian was sent to a mantis style kung fu teacher uh, Jack Wong in Surrey Okay. It, it was in a warehouse in around 132 Street and uh, 82nd or so. And uh, I was put in there with him. So he was a lot better than I was. Right. Um, 
him and Will, uh, William Chen, he, they used to do uh, Kung Fu at, at after school, at Chinese school, at Saturdays. You know that lovely thing that all the yeah. kids like to go to? Yeah. <laughs> so on Saturdays, they would do Chinese school uh, Kung Fu after their Chinese school class. So like Chinese school is from 9 to 12, and then at 1 o'clock, your Kung Fu class begins. Yeah. I did a little bit of that. I, I, I kind of dropped out early. But then later on, we did this more serious Kung Fu after school, after grade school stuff in Surrey. And so yeah. I was shoved in there with, with Brian. So Brian, myself, both of our brothers, uh, Brian's brother Patrick, my brother Alex, and my brother Felix, we all went in there to do Kung Fu together. So I got to ask, uh, who has the bragging rights in terms of uh, sparring? So this is the interesting Did thing. Did you guys ever spar? No, as kids, they didn't let us spar. For some reason, they didn't let kids punch each other in the face. Mm. I don't understand why. <laughs> but, but yeah, so we didn't really do that very much. But Brian liked to fight in, in real life, not because he was a bad guy, but because <laughs> people used to bully us, right? Yeah. And that is, I think, one of the, the impetus for most people getting into martial arts, right. having that really traumatic experience of feeling like you're completely weak weak and, and useless and vulnerable and in danger. Yeah. And then having a lot of, having other people want to have their way with you and you feeling like you can't do anything about yeah. it. And Brian, probably the most famous person that's went through that experience is George St. Pierre, right? I think yeah. his story is quite well known that he went into martial arts because he was bullied as, mm-hmm. as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and were you were bullied as well, or or as a group you kind of were bullied? Absolutely. I like when I was five, I was bullied by a guy in soccer class, and because I was a big pussy, my sister had to come up and, and save me. She always tells everybody her name's Florian, and she's a French teacher now. But she used to tell everybody, I had to protect Lawrence. I took my chocolate milk and I squirted it on this guy who was bullying him in soccer class, and uh, you know I, I I couldn't defend myself. I didn't know what I, what to do. I was just ball up and cry guy. And for those of you who don't know Lawrence, Lawrence is a gentle Asian giant, I would say. <laughs> a gentle giant. Yeah, so... You so, can tell by the voice, right? He's so, so soft, so, so easygoing. Yeah. A little bit like Barry White. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's my, I was thinking Marvin Gaye. But, uh, yeah, so, so, so tell us more, like, you know, UFC, when did it become prevalent? Let me go back to UFC 1 with Hoist Gracie. What year was that? that was in, I think that was like 92 or 93. So, And did you watch that in, in yeah, the beginning? Uh, we have a friend uh, this, from the Suchan family. Do you know anybody no, from the Suchan family? No. Yeah, so Greg Suchan, who's now a success, successful orthodontist somewhere, he had one of those black boxes that somehow you hook it up to your coaxial cable and you'll be able to get pay-per-views for free yeah, for the that. switch. Yeah, you our did? Fa- our family had that too. I'm yeah. so jealous. Yeah. I, for some reason, my family couldn't get one, but you were one of the lucky Asians in, in the Vancouver area who could get one. So he, he had he had that, and we watched Hoist Gracie uh, take out Dan Severn. I think That's that was right. the first one. Dan Severn's a huge monster of a man, and, and Hoist Gracie's like 180 pounds or so. And uh, he was able to to just hug hug him and defeat him. At the moment, I was like, this is so boring. I can't believe I I was so excited to watch this. Like, And it it just it just finished. He put his hands up, and then the small guy won. Right. I was like, sure. I, I didn't really believe that it was real. I was like, oh, he's just he's hitting him with his heel. He's like wrapping his limbs around him, and then just using his heel like kind of like a little hammer on the back of his his flank, like where his you know, I don't know it's costovertebral angle or something. Yeah, and, and at that time, I guess uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu was not as well known as it is today. Yeah. And that's probably the first mainstream exposure that people had to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. That's right. And I remember watching it. Um, it was actually, I had a family friend who was really into karate. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and he brought uh, a video of UFC actually to a family gathering wow. <laughs> with a bunch of kids and he did give a warning said this is going to be very violent uh, it's cage fighting uh, but it's so awesome and really so we sh- took bets actually <laughs> prior to the match and for some reason well not for some reason most people would b- bet on the bigger a fighter right because yeah. you wouldn't expect a little 185 pound guy to defeat a 300 pound sumo mm-hmm. wrestler mm-hmm. and i think that's what created that whole world of mixed martial arts the very beginning of it mm-hmm. right yeah this, absolutely yeah so seeing a smaller guy beat beat a bigger guy it, it said a lot about this sport that technique definitely can can win over uh, other physical attributes and and then it spoke a lot about the the heart of the person who's who's smaller uh and and that's exciting you know cheering for the underdog and from the very beginning you realize i love this sport or did it take a few more ufcs where you kind of started getting into it no i i after that watching the very first one i had no connection to it I, i i was like this is very boring i was still stuck in the traditional uh, martial arts thing being raised and indoctrinated kind of in traditional Chinese Kung Fu uh, We did mantis style as I said and also something called Honga I, I don't even know what it stands for just the name of a family Hung Hungar is in English right uh, type of Kung Fu style um, You should get Brian on he'll tell you more about it, right? But going through that those those traditional Chinese tra- trainings I was lulled into a sense of security like there was actually a point where in, in 10th grade I think it was might have been ninth grade. Brian and I were out at Halloween, and we loved firecrackers. Mm-hmm. So we had a backpack full of firecrackers, and we were walking through Sunshine Hills in Delta, and then a whole gang of kids tried to take his backpack. And with tra- traditional Chinese kung fu, I thought I was going to defend myself against them. So we like <laughs> took our jackets off. We were going to throw down, getting ready. It got broken up at the end of the day, but yeah. but that was another example of the like the. That's kind of that sense of that need to know how to defend yourself in the Surrey Delta area. <laughs> yeah, it also kind of uh, highlights the difference between street fighting versus fighting mm-hmm. in a very technical sense in a competition, for example. That's right. Right. So at, at that moment in, in ninth grade, I was throwing high kicks in the air, but those are really <laughs> ineffective, most likely. But just the fact that I stood my ground and somebody else broke, up, broke it up before anything started really saved us. But yeah, if you, if you take things to the ground now, Joe Rogan says it best, all street fights usually end up on the ground. And if, if you're not careful, you getting thrown to the ground is like having the earth smack you. Yeah. <laughs> and it, could, it can be, be very devastating. We've seen all seen videos on, on world star hip hop or on YouTube of people <laughs> yeah. hitting the ground and not, not getting up and can be really. Yeah, actually, I didn't know about world star before until recently. <laughs> and I saw some of those videos and oh my God. Some yeah. of those were just brutal. Devastating. I Devastating. can't even believe they're published uh, online. But, um, you know, when I, when I follow you on Instagram and Facebook, I'm always fascinated with the number of, I wouldn't say, I would say celebrities, celebrity MMA fighters that you've met over the mm-hmm. years. And, and you yourself have been involved with the UFC. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? So after, from 1993 all the way to about 2005, I had no connection with mixed martial arts. But in 2005, when I was in medical school out in, in Brooklyn, I was doing my rotations and I had time between my mm. rotations. It was the heyday of torrenting. It was a yeah. bit torrenting. So I'd figured out, hey, I'm going to try to bit torrent some reality TV shows. And some of the top reality TV shows in 2006, one of them was The Ultimate Fighter. Oh, yeah. And through that, I became acquainted with uh, uh, 
Forrest Griffin. He's that Atlanta, uh, yep. Georgia policeman who who became a UFC champion at one point at 205 pounds. And was then, he the winner of the first Ultimate Fighter? He was. He I was. think so, right? Yeah, so I, I downloaded those episodes and binge-watched them back yeah. in, in Brooklyn in my tiny apartment. And it was just fascinating, the drama. Seeing someone who's a, an upstanding citizen, a police officer, go live in a house and then literally fight his way out of the house and, and win like hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. and, and get glory and fame through, through that. It was, it was pretty fantastic. Around that same time is that George St. Pierre and... And B.J. Penn feud. Yeah, George, B.J. Penn, uh, George St. Pierre, and Matt Hughes. They had this amazing triangle of fights. They were just extremely dramatic, and you can get them all. Kind of watch them in a series, and it's like watching a, a mini series. Yeah, the backstories and everything. And I think that was probably uh, UFC at its peak um, at that so. time, right? Uh, well, at its peak in terms of popularity I cult would say? interest cult interest i, I would yeah. say yeah now it's probably more mainstream because it's, it's mainstream. on cable television now and there's right. so many events but i remember um when it was a cult phenomenon they only had fights once a month yeah. and it was like must see pay-per-view mm-hmm. at your uh local bar it's but now there's too many i think there's too many events now i think it's yeah. watered it down it's diluted it diluted sure. it a little bit right they're, they're looking to find those stars now uh, i think it's owned by wm M-E-I-M-G now. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it was it was sold in that in the largest sports deal in history, the $4 billion deal, I yeah. think it was, when the UFC was sold from its private owners uh, to, to W-M-E-I-M-G. Back to your question about how I became involved. So around 2006, Facebook, or 2007, Facebook became big too. So even though I was in New York, I was linked back to Dr. Jerome Lee, do, uh, Jerome Yang. Do you know Dr. Jerome Yeah, Lee? I know Jerome. Yeah, so Jerome was, uh, is also a big fan. He... He was a big fan of MMA back in Pride days as well. So he contacted me uh, letting, when I told him in 2009 that I was returning to Vancouver. He said, we're, we're trying to start up the Vancouver Athletic Commission. We're going to regulate uh, combat sports, boxing, wrestling, uh, MMA. And we need someone who knows the sport and has an understanding of concussions, has an understanding of sports medicine. And who better than two GPs, right? So, <laughs> so I said, sign me up. Uh, I put in an applic- application, and, and there we were. We were sitting at the table with a um, really nice guy, Mark Ratner. Uh, I believe he's the VP of Regulatory Affairs for the UFC. Okay. Um, older guy, used to be part of the Athletic Commission in Nevada. Okay. So he was kind of the guy for the UFC to bring them into regulation, to, to ha- have them understand all the, the rules around the sport, to make sure that... Uh, they're compliant, and that they changed the image of the sport from from human cockfighting to to something that's a legitimate competitive arena where um, upstanding citizens can can show off their skills. And and you were a, a cage side physician for uh, one one or two Vancouver events. I was. I the, recall. Yeah, I was. So I was the commission for commissioner for one UFC event. Right. Um, I think that was back in 2011 or 2012. And then in 2013, another promotion called World Series of Fighting okay. um, came. And for that one, the commission hit me up to be the one of the cage-side physicians. Okay. Yeah. So that was my one experience as a cage-side physician. Yeah. I remember seeing you probably on TV, actually, for the UFC. Was it was it? a pay-per-view, I think. Yeah. So it was... Um, Who was the headliner? World, the World Series of Fighting was, was the one I, I was on. I was, it was broadcast on NBC. Okay. NBC, I think it's an American channel. Okay. Yeah, so it was held at the Agridome. And who was the... I think the headliner might have been 
uh, Georgi Karakanyan. I think he's a Russian fighter, and he had fought, I believe, Lance Palmer, who's out of uh, Team Alpha Male. Okay. Uh, Uriah Faber's camp. Uh, and that was uh, 2013. Okay. So it, it wasn't a super big card, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, we had Caleb Starnes. Caleb Starnes, who's fighting yeah. fights out of Surrey. He was fighting on the card. That was interesting. He right. he had a he had a very notorious run on the Ultimate Fighter as well. Right. Um, Jesse, um, he's he's the I think he was the winner of the comeback recent comeback show. Did you watch the recent comeback? Um, I haven't. Ultimate I, Fighter. I, no, I have to admit okay. I've actually not been following you, MMA as as much as I did. Have a few you years actually ago. been uh, putting your energies into taking care of patients? Is that why? Uh, yeah, that's exactly why, Lawrence. <laughs> that's all I have time for. Yeah. Um, so. But, you know, going back to you, you've, you've met so many uh, MMA fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, do you actually have personal relationships with, or, or friendships with some of these I've fighters? never slept with any of them. Uh, but <laughs> I, <laughs> but I, I just I go to the events and I see them and I'm excited to see them. Just like if you, if you knew, like the Canucks and then you go to it somewhere and like, Oh, there's the Canucks. I'll right. go over and say hi and we'll have a conversation and then we'll take a photo to commemorate it. That's pretty much how it works. And I think the amazing thing with the, these MMA fighters is, you know, despite their profession, which is fighting, mm-hmm. you, you kind of probably have this image of what they would be like if you met them in person. But I think for the most part, I've met a f- couple of UFC fighters and very nice people, mm-hmm. friendly, Mm-hmm. Uh, gentlemen, and uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. You probably had that same experience. I'm Absolutely, sure. yeah. Hun- just I good people. Ninety-nine percent of them are are above average, uh, kind, humble people, and the reason is that in training for something like MMA, you have to work so hard that in order to get to that pinnacle, you have to fail so many times, and especially in grappling, something like grappling, there is it's a it's a true exposure of of our limitations. There is nothing to hide behind when you grapple with someone. You're you are always going to lose before you win. Right. Uh, so I have a massive respect for anybody who, who who grapples at a competitive level, and through that you hone your ego. You you calm down the ego. You 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 tame the ego, and and you build like a a sincere uh, appreciation for um, for hard work and yeah. and for for diligence and. BS goes to the to the wayside. Yeah. When we encounter people and we're like, this person's fake. I don't really enjoy my interaction with this person. They're not being sincere. It's because they're able to put up fronts that that we, in our gut instinct, our antennae that are invisible, we can feel that these people aren't really sincere. Right. But when you get with an MMA fighter, they are who they are. Right. They've gone through the gauntlet and thrown off all the bullshit. And, and they're there, just this there. They're just Hi, I'm here. You're here. Uh, what can I do for you? It's a, it's a very simple interaction. And actually, that's probably it's helped beautiful. with the popularity of MMA that these fighters who you you kind of admire are so accessible. Yeah. You know, and even probably Dana White, mm-hmm. who's the president of UFC, mm-hmm. I can see him as being a very accessible type of force for the UFC, which probably adds to the popularity. I'm yeah. sure. You yeah. know, Dana White is is an amazing marketer, uh, probably the best promoter in the in the history of of sports. Because he understands how to use the media, yeah. he understands how being vulnerable and putting himself and being available is, how important it is for a spokesperson to be always available, no matter how tired you are. He sacrificed so many years of his life yeah. for this sport, to make this sport grow, and it couldn't have, they could not have done it without him. Um, and you're right, they are, they are very, very accessible. These 
athletes they don't uh, they're they're surprised when you know who they are and and they're really happy to generally speak to you but i agree with you that you know it takes a lot of discipline to get to that level mm-hmm. um and that's something i really admire with them as well i remember actually i went with my brother uh last year to an introductory jujitsu class in Good richmond he had a free pass so, so cool. i went there for the first time and it was a lot of fun but even there was a, a time at the end of the class where you could freestyle or just kind of wrestle and even f- for me i'm not in tip-top shape but i can't say i'm in bad shape 30 seconds of non-stop wrestling completely exhausted me mm-hmm. so i can't imagine these guys fighting mm-hmm. full force for five minute you know <laughs> five minute uh, rounds mm-hmm. sometimes five rounds for a championship fight and and i think that goes back to when people go into martial arts even as a kid when you brought up earlier it, the thing that parents love about i think mixed, uh, martial arts training for their kids is probably the discipline aspect yeah. right mm-hmm. um listening to authority being disciplined being able to follow through with tasks and, and training and building self-confidence mm-hmm. and and uh, i i think i wonder sometimes because you're so involved with mixed martial arts have you used some of the teachings of mixed martial arts brought to your personal life or professional life even absolutely I think th- through through under through doing jujitsu, um, I'm I'm still a white belt. I'm I'm very young. I've only in my career with jujitsu, I've probably only taken maybe 50, 60 hours of instruction. Um, nowhere even near close to my n- first belt, like which is the blue belt. Um, that being said, uh, it 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 shows jujitsu is a thinking art. It shows that strategizing about your life planning about your life is is so critical to your success um hard work it, it pounds in the idea that without hard work you can't expect to to get anything um getting a belt in jiu-jitsu is all about sacrifice sacrifice that i haven't yet been able to completely uh, execute but 100 percent, these are excellent life are you life saying skills. you're busy uh, being a physician father and husband <laughs> i'm i'm busy being a pussy that's what's happening so um yeah, there's there's so many translatable skills. You know, when when we decide who we want to be, so much of so much of who the people who don't generally fit in or aren't admired in your in your lives, your in your life are people who are like you're not pulling your own weight. You're not mm-hmm. you don't seem to be contributing to society very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone who practices Jiu-Jitsu will naturally translate these things in, into their lives and, and want to contribute. Like, if I was to build a, a colony on Mars and I wanted to send people up there, I would definitely choose a, a, a professional, one of the professional martial artists to, to, to go up there because of their ability to tolerate suffering, their ability to think creatively under duress. And so all these lessons t- together, I think, are, are very applicable to to life in general. And I agree. And also, I think a, a lot of the common denominator of people who are successful, whether in business or medicine or sports, all have probably this grit or, or perseverance that they've had to go through. You mm-hmm. know, I, I, I remember reading a book called Talent is Overrated, mm. you know, and I think when we look at, say, Kobe Bryant or LeBron James, mm-hmm. you think, yes, they have natural abilities, but they are who they are because they've dedicated thousands of hours to, mm-hmm. to training and, and that comes from their, their will to wanting to learn and improve. Mm-hmm. And I think even with um, mixed martial arts, 
those guys are so dedicated and they don't make that much money. I mean, maybe the top guys make Mm -hmm. a lot of money, but you know, when you're starting from the very bottom, I think you're truly doing it for improvement and for the passion of the sport. Mm -hmm. I don't think, of course they want to make a living, but Mm -hmm. you know, they're so dedicated and and so determined. And those are all just highly admirable qualities of any human being, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. So, and that's what I see from these guys. Um, I can't say I've followed them as much as I did in the past. Um, but, you know, every time I watch, I'm like, man, I could not do what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just amazing what they do. So, mm-hmm. you know, do you have any bucket list or goals of UFC or mixed martial arts that's still on your to-do list? Because you've done a lot already. You know, you've mm-hmm. gone to a lot of events. I don't know how many events have you been to live? I've probably been to about eight or nine. Probably. Eight and what's nine. the your most memorable event that you've been to? I'd have to say the the one in Toronto in twenty I think it was twenty thirteen it was at the is it called the Air Canada Center the fifty five thousand oh the uh, Rogers, Rogers uh, Center. Center used to be Skydome so, I guess yeah, yeah. sorry yeah. oh with uh, George St Pierre and Jake Shield that's it? right that was, a, yeah. that was amazing it was also the retirement of Randy Couture and Randy Couture was my one of my first uh, uh, coaches very briefly in in two thousand eight so watching him retire was was a big deal there. Yeah. Um, I was also there as a commissioner, which was which was memorable, yeah. and having just being in a room with fifty five thousand people who were all united about the excitement of watching one man or one woman bare their soul and show what they what they can do against somebody else. It was just a very electric environment. I want to ask you. I've been to a, a few UFC events. Um, how do you find the live experience of UFC or mixed martial arts? Uh, compared to watching it on television because mm-hmm. um, from what I see I'm not sitting cage side mm-hmm. when I've been I've been kind of balcony mm-hmm. or maybe lower bowl mm-hmm. and I found that I was watching the monitor half the time <laughs> you know when especially when they're grappling yeah. Yeah. of course the atmosphere the environment mm-hmm. is amazing mm-hmm. um, probably I had goosebumps when I was living in Montreal and George St. Pierre was coming out to the Bell Center mm-hmm. and people just chanting George GSP, GSP, and I had chills. It wasn't Nick Diaz, right? It wasn't... Um, it wasn't... Um, Josh Koscheck. Oh, okay. It just came That's to me. Awesome. Josh Koscheck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I remember being there, and uh, but I was watching the monitor the whole time. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. I don't know. Like, how, how no, was your experience? It, unless you're sitting on the floor, that's exactly what everybody's <laughs> doing. And it, what's horrible is that people get trained, have become really accustomed and dependent on Joe Rogan for the commentary. Right. And when you're in the arena, unless you have a special radio, you can't actually hear his voice. Right. And so it, it, it does weaken the, the experience. But if you're there with friends, that, that's what makes the difference. Yes. Uh, and if you have good seats. So it's... Yeah, I remember yeah. I was in Vegas to watch. I was at a bash, friend's bachelor party. He's a big UFC fan. And we mm-hmm. all bought tickets to uh, Rashad Evans when he was champion versus mm-hmm. Leota Machida. Mm-hmm. And this is when um, Machida knocked out Rashad Evans. Yes. Yeah. And I completely missed it. <laughs> I didn't even know that he got knocked out. And my friend beside me like, oh, my God, Evans just got knocked out. And I couldn't see a thing. Yeah. Uh, but I think just being in that environment was just amazing, though. Uh, my my second my runner up to the was Rogers Center one would would be um, I think it was UFC one ninety four or something with uh, it was that one where Conor McGregor fought Ho- Jose Al- Ho- Jose Aldo. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, you were there? Yeah. Oh, okay. That w- 
just having like tons of uh, Irish people all around you throughout the whole week was just crazy. They would break break into song like th- their song was "There's Only One." Conor McGregor and they would take their shoes off and dance around in a circle it made no sense and they would sing it to uh, Winter Wonderland the tune yeah and it happened the whole week throughout the whole city uh, all of Vegas it was like that and for and those of you who don't know Lawrence is actually a singer as well <laughs> when, so he's when, got some YouTube videos I've seen them <laughs> I've seen those yes thank you I have about five hits now. <laughs> so <laughs> now six so Sinead O'Connor rose up on a platform in the middle and I'm not a huge Sinead O'Connor fan but her voice that night was angelic and having her rise up on this huge uh, like probably a 20 foot podium just rose straight into the air like 30 feet into the air within the stadium to to sing live Conor McGregor's walk-in song it, it was it was just blew, blew my blew my mind at that moment yeah I think the the entertainment aspect was, was, uh, was cool. at an all-time high during that fight that was, that was nice. actually which kind of made me think about just now the parallels of UFC and amateur or say WWE wrestling mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of parallels I see yeah you take from the president of each company I find mm-hmm. Vince McMahon Dana White to be comparable mm-hmm. characters, tough talking, brash, probably cocky, mm-hmm. um, kind of president promoters, and then kind of the production and sometimes the the hyping of the certain fights. I mean, mm-hmm. probably the most famous um, UFC fighter right now is Conor McGregor, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And then he can hype up a fight just like you know who Macho Man or or Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. um, back in the WWE days. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know if they, they, they obviously know that. Yeah, it's they, a sports they, entertainment. It's sports thing. entertainment, right? Yeah, so there's yeah. a lot of crossover. I and mean, probably the audience has a lot of crossover as well. Absolutely. There right. is a conscious uh, effort on UFC's part to not cross too much into um, the hokiness that might be involved in WWE because, of course, it would affect the legitimacy of their product, right? They're trying mm-hmm. to say... These these athletes are, are are like Olympians. They're trying to equate them to Olympians, and they're they're they are under strict and stringent doping um, policy and checks all the time. And so, adding any more flashbang fireworks to it would, I think, they were hope, hoping to try to not not go into that arena and have some defined clarity between the two two different realms. Yeah, and um, do you have a favorite UFC fighter? Past or present? Well, I, but besides Randy Couture, I think you mentioned yeah, earlier. Besides Conor McGregor, yeah, um, everyone loves Conor. Uh, yeah, I, man, I there there are so many of them. I let me think who who I, who I really like lately. You know, just from uh, yeah from social media, I know you like. Um, I'm so bad with names. Joe Lazan. Oh yes, I love Joe Lazan. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I love Joe. I love you. So yeah, he's. He's a because he's a nerd, and I, I, I identify kind of as a nerd. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of techie. I like computers. I used to put my my own computers together, you know, at Newig.com and uh, Tiger Direct or my best friends. Uh, and I, when NCIX existed, I was, I was one of my go to. <laughs> Actually, places. when they closed down, that was uh, kind of sad. sad. That was, was pretty, pretty sad. sad. Yeah, all the all the nerds cried yeah. together. So. Joel is on being like a computer nerd guy and being really technical with jujitsu and then being a super badass, having like tons of finishes, submission finishes, knockout finishes. Just what an exciting guy. And again, uh, the epitome of, of humility 
and excellence together, which is just really fantastic. And, uh, you know, you have two kids, yep. nine and five, I believe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Do they watch or would you allow them to watch they, mixed martial arts? They grew UFC? up with it. <laughs> when they were in the womb, they would hear it going on on, on Saturdays. So Are they, they coming out of the womb in, in an arm bar? Or? <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. I, I told the obstetrician, move over, throw the vacuum away. I, I know how to do this. I got traction on the. <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah, I have them in jiu-jitsu on Thursdays and they do they do taekwondo on my on taekwondo on mondays oh they do okay yeah okay and how do you find it as a parent with your kids being in uh, martial arts are they they learning the things that you want them to learn like obviously are you expecting them to be mixed martial artists my guess would be no i'm not not professional but i expect them to understand the principles and be able to execute some of the basic moves (laughs) and do they enjoy it no, they hate it. It's just like me with Chinese school when I was a kid. Yeah. I hated Chinese school. I hated Chinese school. But I use it so much now. Yeah. Don't you? Don't you use Chinese school? I do, day? but yeah. I never paid attention in Chinese school. The thing that I probably I learned the most was from piano. Not from piano, but from the discipline it took to sit there as a six, seven, eight year old practicing piano for 30 minutes or 60 mm. minutes when all your friends are out play, playing street hockey. Yeah. That's probably the biggest thing I learned from, from that. But um, from Chinese school, <laughs> that was just playtime with friends, right? <laughs> yeah. It's always at the worst time. It's either Friday night after school yeah. or Saturday morning yeah. or all Saturday other, afternoon. Like, you all know? the other kids get, get a day off and, and we're back in school listening to something we don't fully understand. Yeah. But there was definitely something in that rote memorization of, of writing those characters over and over again. That rote memorization skill, I feel that stretch in my brain a little bit and helped me to be better at memorization yeah yeah and (laughs) is there anything else um you want to to do with ufc like are you still involved with the ufc or the athletics commission because the ufc hasn't come back to vancouver in a while i think um i'm a little bit to to be to go back into a professional uh role as a nonpartisan commissioner i don't think i'm eligible for that anymore because i'm very public about my my interactions and fandom and as a as a fan, you're naturally partisan, biased, and so you can't have you you can't ride both um, you can't ride both horses. Uh, you might know that John McCarthy recently, Big John McCarthy, the, the yeah. referee, he he's left his position as referee now oh, to I didn't become know an interviewer. It just happened this past weekend, and so it's kind of like that. It, it is actually something that we take very seriously. Being a referee, judge, or commissioner, mm. a lot of money and a lot of and, the, and most, most of all, the com- combatants' health, the athletes' health depends on our ability to stay biased. You know, as uh, I think Osler said, that equanimitas mm-hmm. <laughs> is really important, especially in those roles. So as a fan, I don't think I'm eligible anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, but uh, if I was to be involved, one of the things I do dream about is that there is the performance center, the UFC performance center down in, in Nevada. In, in Vegas, and I, I hope to go down there to do a tour and to see how I, I might be, be able to become involved in, in that aspect. Other things I've dreamed about are that they're currently and already have expanded the market in the UFC presence in Asia. Yeah, I see so that. So with my knowledge of Mandarin and Cantonese and, and mixed martial arts and medicine, I might be able to parlay that into some type of paid position <laughs> in, in China. But of course, my, my primary... Um, responsibility is to my patients right now so i'm not ready to jump away to do that <laughs> yeah, i was gonna ask you does your wife have the same passion of mixed martial arts as you she knows all the storylines she enjoys the drama yeah and she'll watch some of those key fights but 
she, in general, she's kind of sick of it. She wishes I would move on. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your passion, Lawrence, uh, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's like some people love basketball. Some people yeah. love poke, uh, snooker, poker. I, I love watching people punch each other. Yeah, so is it, I think we can wrap up here, actually. Sure. Is there anything else we want to talk about? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with how that was. I hope. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, thanks for being here. No, that was really good. Thanks for sharing your passion of MMA and how it translates to your life. And we got to do this again sometime. Sounds good. All right, bro. Thanks brother. Take care. (laughs) Bye. I want to thank Lawrence Yang again for joining us on digging deeper here and sharing his story about his passion for MMA. And I want to thank you for listening to another episode of digging deeper until next time. Oh, 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 oh